You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is the weekly briefing for the week ending December 23rd, 2022. I'm Lady Maya Kane, in for Eric Singer. Today's podcast includes highlights from a panel discussion moderated by Nitin Dahad, sponsored by Analog Devices and Cadence. In celebration of EE Times' 50th anniversary, EE Times held a panel to discuss how to expand the semiconductor industry talent pool. The panel welcomed Mark Lundstrom of Purdue University, Sherry Liss from Semi Foundation, David Junkin of Cadence Academic Network, Robert Owen from Imagination Technologies, and Brian Failing of NXP Semiconductors. Our panelists addressed what the talent gap means, bringing talent to the industry, gender equity, and how the traditional chip industry can appeal to a younger generation. Imagine you're 12 years old, sitting in your classroom wondering, what do I want to be when I grow up? All around are posters of doctors, teachers, and presidents. Not a single mention of the semiconductor industry. But that's where the industry needs to be in the K through 12 classrooms, exposing children to the careers of applications engineer, product engineer, and many more. So how can this industry and academia work together to fill the roles that are needed, not just in the US, but globally? Nitin Dahad joins our panelists via phone to address this issue. So I've got some uh, prominent panelists for this discussion, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but quickly name them. So I've got Mark Lundstrom from Purdue University. Mark, hello. Hello, everyone. Sherry Liss from uh, SEMI. Hi, Sherry. Hi, everybody. David Junkin from uh, Cadence. Hello, thanks so much. And Brian Failing from NXP Semiconductor. Hello. And uh, I've got uh, Robert Owen from Imagination Technologies. Greetings. Greetings. Uh, Robert, tell us what... uh, what talent gap means to you and your company? Yeah, I'm the uh, principal consultant, Worldwide University Program at Imagination Technologies. We're a medium-sized company creating compute solutions, be they CPU or GPU or, or, or neural network accelerators. And we're recruiting very heavily at the moment uh, and finding it very difficult wherever, wherever we are in the world to find the people that we want. Growing the global talent pool is a key issue. Uh, We need to be bringing in more computer science and and EE graduates into the the global market. And one of the issues that's in there, I think we still, particularly in in Western societies, are still recruiting almost entirely from the male male population, which is a, a fundamental issue, which I've been waiting all my career for it to change. And it's been changing very slowly, if at all. And growing that talent pool is important. And I think it's the duty of, of, of companies, all of them, to be good citizens and to put effort in to helping make sure that those that are coming into that talent pool have got the kind of skills that we'd like to see. So Imagination makes a significant investment in teaching materials to help teachers mm. give more relevant courses, you know, practical hands-on skills. We've also greatly right. increased the number of placements that we are offering and I think placements have a, a very important role to play in making sure that when, when a student graduates, that they're going to be much more ready for work. Just on one, one of your points about uh, male in Western societies, I've actually seen 
when I go to Asia and the Middle East, that there are a lot of females developing a lot of the, the high-end chips. So it's quite interesting. That, yeah, the, and, the and we should learn from what they've done. I mean, I think that they haven't brought the baggage that we've had, um, but we've been very slow, I, I think, in Europe and the US to, to respond to this. And, you know, it's it's long overdue for a change because it, it would definite, definitely help. And, you know, the bottom line is we're not producing enough computer scientists and engineers globally. Yeah. And it, it has been the West that are letting the side down the most. Well, thank you. Uh, Shari, tell us uh, what you do. And uh, then also, what role do you see for industry associations like SEMI to help bring new talent into the industry, uh, which basically then helps helps address some of these issues? but also help upskill existing staff. Uh, my name is Sherry okay. Liss, and I'm the executive director for the SEMI Foundation. SEMI Foundation oversees workforce development and diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives on behalf of our member companies, of which we have 2,500 currently. So a big, a big lift trying to think about workforce development. Um, the associations work. How do I see that? You know, I've been with the foundation now for about three years. We're spearheading about 15 different initiatives around workforce development. And the way that we're defining workforce development and DEI initiatives on behalf of members is to think about how we as kind of a collection of industry members can uniquely address this problem that each individual company cannot do on their own. So I would argue that in the K-12 system, especially high school kids, if they're walking down the street in Silicon Valley, they will know Google and Facebook, Meta, sorry, um, and LinkedIn and all of those companies. But if they walk past Applied Materials or KLA, they'll have absolutely no idea what they do. So I think um, we do a lot of work around the awareness of this industry and the image of this of this industry, because also when we speak to students who are considering careers, they have a very narrow view of the semiconductor industry if they have one at all. Um, and so it's really trying to change that. So from an association perspective, how can we create a narrative around this industry that makes it exciting, interesting, dare I say sexy, like how do we do that in a way? So that's one area where we feel like we fit. Um, we also have a number of veteran initiatives, which really we offer out to our member companies. So again, our largest companies have their own initiatives going on, but a lot of our small to mid-sized really need the support. So how do we connect people that are transitioning out of the military through their MLSs, through their jobs in that, in that realm into our industry directly? And how can we support our member companies to do that? Um, we also are building apprenticeship models, especially around the technician and operator space right now. We're going to be the sponsoring organization and the registered apprenticeship model build will go through the foundation and through the association so that members can just take advantage of that, not have to build their own programs. And again, the largest of our companies are already doing a lot of that work on our own, but of our 2,500 members, a lot of our small to mid-size need that kind of support. So we're really looking at how can we raise awareness, get into underserved communities in a really effective and meaningful way, especially starting early on, even in fourth grade. Um, and then how do we work all the way through the pipeline up to reskilling and upskilling when we talk about the veteran community or we talk about women returning to work or we talk about people that are currently underrepresented in our industry? How do we make this an accessible field? And that's how I see the work of an association. And if I could just comment on the gender equity piece that came up earlier as the only woman on this call. <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> we have so much work to do in that space. And even as an industry, although, you know, in the last several years, we saw a little uptick in entry level hiring, we have stalled and fallen quite short. We talk about um, promotion rates and how we pay our women in our industry and how we create cultures of inclusion and belonging. So I don't want to understate how incredibly important 
looking at both mm. racial and gender equity are in this field. Talk about talent gap. That's a whole other realm that we could dig into for another three hours. So I'll stop there. <laughs> um, actually, on the gender, um, I uh, spoke at a, a panel in London, um, a discussion at, uh, in London to an audience of uh, f- female engineers. And uh, quite a few of them said they felt intimidated by the environment and had to leave, even though they were qualified engineers. So I think it's an interesting sort of uh, challenge that the industry has yeah. as well. I get that a lot. Like, why would you be intimidated by that? But when you're an only in a room, you know, when you're yeah. when you're not represented around you, when people aren't always open to diversity of thought, or if the microaggressions that happen in a lot of these cases, there's a really real. And then if people don't feel accepted, you know, we're really going to struggle with talent as we move into this next era uh, with all the investments going on in the U.S. Right. Well, I'm going to open now to everybody with another question. There's a a recent report from Accenture, which basically highlights the challenge for traditional chip companies in attracting talent. How do you think, you know, the traditional chip industry can address this and make them as attractive to work for? The way we write job descriptions, uh, the way we pay our employees, the work-life balance and the expectations in this industry, um, the way we do our hiring, our, all of those things I think need to shift. And as an industry, we also, I think, need to start exploring alternative pathways to hire. And although the university system is incredibly critical in a lot of roles that we need, there's also an opportunity to look at apprenticeship models. There's an opportunity to look at CTE programs that could feed more directly into our industry. And I think as competition ramps even further with all the new fabs being built uh, and that the war for talent is going to escalate even more. I think it's all the more reason for our industry to start sort of examining its own practices around hiring, its own practices around diversity, equity, inclusion. All of those things are going to become so critically important in order for us to compete. And that goes along with changing the narrative of how our industry operates. We have to talk about the the end products in a way that is exciting to kids. We have to talk about how we how we embrace this industry and what we love about it from people that are in it. Um, and I, I really think there's a lot of stories to be told. I think there's a narrative that needs to shift. I think there's a lot of work around DEI. And I think we have to do some hard look at how we operate in a society where students want to give back and want to contribute and want to see that their work is going towards good and want to feel that they belong. And all of those things are things that we as an industry have to address in order to compete. So. I speak a lot yeah. about this. <laughs> I care about this a lot, and I don't know how to shift. I don't know how to shift a mindset of an industry, but I'm but all in. <laughs> you made an interesting. You made yeah. an interesting point that um, they need to see the end products. I um, uh, three or four years ago, I presented at my son's school with fifteen-year-olds, and um, the I presented and, and I, one of the slides I showed was, and this is what an electronic engineer or a, or a product designer can do, and I showed an iPhone, and and I said, yeah, these, these are the kind of stuff, and. At the end, all all of them came up to me and said, how can we get into this? What can I do? And so I think yeah, it is a valid point. Would anybody else like to touch the... Yes. Um, I do think it's important to help students understand what chips enable and, and focus on, on what they make possible. And that more and more, um, they are the limiting factor in what we can do, especially in fields like artificial intelligence. You're limited by what the hardware can do. Um, I also think it's it's important to convey to students that there's a lot of semiconductor engineering work now being done in companies that you don't think of as semiconductor companies. You know, Apple, Google, Facebook, 
Uh, every automobile manufacturer has announced that they'll be designing their own chips. Uh, more and more often now, these days, they're the differentiating factor in products. So, you know, we should think of the semiconductor industry or the microelectronics industry in a much broader sense and encourage our students mm -hmm. to explore all of these opportunities. Now, finally, I'll point out, I mean, there is a, there is a practical factor here that we have to be aware of that in some of these glamour companies, the revenue generated per employee is significantly higher than it is in a traditional semiconductor company. Mm -hmm. And that's reflected in salaries and wages. And that's reflected in, uh, in, in the internship salaries that our students get as undergraduates. If you're an undergrad looking for an internship in software, uh, you will likely land an internship at a significantly higher pay than your other colleagues. Uh, your starting salaries fresh out of college are likely to be significantly higher. Now, we don't all make our decisions as to what, what careers to take based solely on salary, but that is a factor that we have to be aware of. Robert, you're going to say something. Yes. I, I, as somebody who joined this industry in 1980, the cooperation that goes on globally is one of the most motivating things. You know, the lack of, of barriers and the, the fact it is truly global is exciting. And we have a duty to share that with young people. Uh, and I think that the, the elder statesmen of the industry have a big job to do to help project that, that, that this is an enabling industry. We're helped perhaps by a couple of things. The chip shortage has certainly raised the awareness. You know, people waiting a year for their new car and they're told it's a lack of chips. That, that's news to many people. And, and, and whilst it's negative to them at the time, it, it's, I think it's reminded a lot of people and highlighted for the first time to many people how important this, this industry is to the world. The second thing is I think the pandemic and remote working, you know, remote working would not have been possible without the, the work of the semiconductor industry. And that has created opportunities for new working models. And we have a, a hybrid working model at Imagination where where almost everybody now can be working from home if that's what they primarily want to do. You know, one of the challenges we face, I think, in, in engaging students early, if, if you compare a computer science education with a semiconductor education, they're quite different. You know, kids can teach themselves mm -hmm. programming and software before they get to college. They can immediately be doing cool things and seeing the results of it. And the further they go in the education, the deeper they die, dive into the computer science and the algorithms and the data structures, but they, but they get started quickly. Uh, in semiconductors, it's different. You need to know a lot of physics, mm. chemistry, and math. Um, when we talk with companies, they frequently tell us that they've been offering internships to students uh, beginning at the junior year, because at that point, they've had enough background and understanding that they can they can they can do some productive things on their internships. Uh, now, what we and, and my colleagues in other universities are, are telling our colleagues in industry is that's way too late. Uh, students are looking mm. for internships and opportunities. Uh, they're finding them as freshmen, sophomores. Uh, if they start along those other paths, uh, we're going to have a challenge to get them onto a semiconductor path. So we, we need mm. to we need to. I think, think about how we can address that problem, uh, how we can get students excited and enthused and building things. Can a freshman, can a first year student design a chip? Uh, can we work with our colleagues in industry to begin offering internships to these students much earlier before they start going down other career paths? 
So, you know, I think there's some real challenges here that we can think about, and probably there are some opportunities where where we can um, move the needle in this space. And abstracting more of the chip design to, to make it more democratized for um, adoption earlier on. And, and then those computer science students that were writing algorithms can understand how to turn them in algorithms into accelerators or chips that mm-hmm. run at, you know, significantly faster and, you know, one hundredth of the power usage as if it was running all CPU or GPU. And I think those are, um, I think that should be something we engage on. And, you know, and as um, has been mentioned before, I think there's a lot of similarities there with whether it's just in high level synthesis, um, writing there is a lot like writing code or also even in verification validation. There's a lot of not just scripting, but but code that gets written there um, that will feel a little bit more like computer science sometimes. And then, then if you don't mind, I'll, I'll add on to, to something real quick. On So I actually graduated from Purdue with a degree in EC. And I remember one of my professors, in fact, gave an example. You know, when, when he was growing up, he went and pulled spare parts from the dumpster at Radio Shack. And he built his own oscilloscope. And and, and so I think what what's, what you see there, and I, I still resonates with me today, is, is the doing and the seeing and the touching. That was his spark. And, and I, I can see that my own children, they're all elementary age right now. Sherry hit, hit on, you know, we're, we're seeing the STEM programs just expand. It, the awareness is there. They're being exposed to it. And, and in fact, also, we, we, we see locally with the STEM programming, they're programming robots at, in kindergarten, simple robots to do simple tasks. And mm-hmm. so what we need to do is continue that, that thread. So they're get, being exposed to the STEM platform. But how do we keep them connected to the semiconductor industry? And, and one, one example would be to, for, you know, whether we take it further with microcontrollers or these, these little systems where they can then take that step further. Um, and it's going to be that light bulb moment that it's really going to get that spark. They're going to have to continue seeing it. So we're going to have to nurture this all the way. And then what was just mentioned uh, but by Mark, it's, it's too late to give them an internship junior year of college. And mm-hmm. so that, that connection, and, and I think that's important, that it's great that Purdue is an example of stepping up to define the semi-countries degree program. But we got to focus before before college, into the high school years. In fact, a lot of the new recent college grads that we've hired in the past year, I've asked them recently, what was that spark? When were you first exposed to say, wow, this is a field I may want to go into? And honestly, it comes back to probably a theme that people mentioned. There was a mentor along the way that had exposure yeah. to this field, and they themselves lit that spark. So I think it's very critical that we we don't look past that. Of it's, it's It is too late kind of in college. Even Mark's point, it's too late to have an internship your junior year. Keep going back in time. And we got to just work together, find those links. The connection from us in industry need to connect even before high school and work together to do that. So it, it's, it's, it's good progress. But like we said, and we're all in agreement, it's not enough. Right. I'm going to have to close, but um, uh, I'm going to ask you all to just give one key message, a sentence maybe that you would like our audience to sort of go away with about uh, this issue of addressing the talent gap. Uh, Sherry, I'm going to start with you, and then I'm going to go around uh, to others. Sherry, what do you, what's the one key message? One sentence. One, one sentence. sentence. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think what I've said is, is really where I live in this space. You know, we need, we need to create energy and excitement around this industry starting really early on. We need to connect industry voice to academia. We need to make sure that we're building for the right roles that are needed. And we need to make this industry attractive and exciting. And we need to examine how we go about doing that as a sector 
in order to compete for talent moving forward. So I think there's work to be done and I think it's possible. And I think there are a lot of brilliant minds really thinking about this and that's exciting. Thank you. Well, Sherry's set the scene more than one sentence. Uh, let's go to Mark. <laughs> oh, uh, okay, let me think about how I do this. I don't know if I can do it in one <laughs> sentence, but you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think we should underestimate the challenge. This is a really big challenge, and we're talking about reshoring and re-energizing electronics in U.S. and Europe, and and this is this makes the challenge even bigger. We, we need an even larger workforce mm -hmm. to do that. But you know, as I think the uh, Sputnik metaphor is uh, probably overused, but as someone who remembers Sputnik, I, I, I think it's very similar. You know, we suddenly realized at a point that we were behind in a technology that was critically important and that we didn't have the scientific and engineering workforce to catch up. And, and that's pretty much where we are right now. But we rose to that challenge once and uh, I see a lot of energy and enthusiasm. I believe that we can do it again. Thank you. And Robert? Yeah, um, I think I'd share that designing a chip and turning it into silicon is one of the most fascinating projects. And the day the silicon arrives and you power it up and see what it does may well be the best year of your life. And that's what makes this a, a wonderful industry to work in. Thank you. Um, Brian? Yes, I, I, the, the good thing from today is this this cross industry and academia uh, tightness, and, and I think the encouragement needs to remain as we've discussed that we are continuing to to show that there's a path here, show the steps needed, and why it's important, and then and then follow through with that to actually do the hiring and the onboarding, the training uh, that that's that's super critical. And so I would just la lastly leave with this mentorship name and, and term. I think is really mm -hmm. critical. Like we said, we can all do that. As, as the roles and experiences we've had and just need to find amongst ourselves to spread this, this mentorship ability that we all have in our roles and what we want to do for this industry. It can, it can grow. Thank you. And finally, Dave. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, over the last 50 years, um, at, I guess as an industry, we've made dramatic advances um, and introduced dramatic changes probably about every two years, if um, according to Moore's law, plus or minus. And having a diverse workforce made up of smart people that are able to learn and adapt might be even more important than just what they knew right as they got started in that career, because I think all of us would be able to go on quite a long while talking about how our, our industry has changed and how our roles have changed. And that adaptability, I think, is critical. Well, thank you. And as we close this, my name is Nitin Dahatra with EE Times and Embedded.com. Thank you. That brings another episode of the Weekly Briefing to its end. Thank you for listening and thank you to our panelists. A link of the entire discussion is available on today's episode page found at our website, eetimes.com slash podcast. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered and produced by me, Lady Maya Kane. On behalf of Eric Singer and the rest of the EE Times team, thanks for listening. <laughs>